Well, friends, it's summertime. I know because I'm up here sweating already. So much has transpired and so much to look forward to as we come into this summer. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this will be a summer unlike any summer we have experienced, at least in our lifetimes. So I want to give you some encouragement, an exhortation, some direction even as we come into the summertime. First of all, many of you and all of us together as a community are in need of some rest and some recreation, recreation, as said in another way. We are in need of that in our lives, to be restored, to be reconnected with one another. And I want to encourage you to do that this summer. I imagine that there are going to be many who are going to take advantage of these beautiful weekends as they come, to gather together some family, head up to their lake place, and maybe do what they haven't been able to do in over a year, which is invite family and friends to come and celebrate and be with them. Friends, hear it from your senior pastor. Go! Go! Enjoy that time together. Please, go with my blessing. I know it's so easy during these times of the year to come from that perspective of, oh, I know that you're going to disappear and you all should be in church. Yes, I want you here in worship. When you are in town, don't just blow off church, okay? <laughs> come be with us and experience worship together. But know that I expect that you are going to take time to reconnect with one another. You're going to take important time to connect in those relationships that have been so life-giving. Use this summer as an opportunity to do that. And then, be here. When you're in town, be here with us in worship. Why? Because we are going to connect with Jesus. We're going to connect with Jesus. We're going to worship him. And we're going to continue to do that each Sunday. And that's important. We're going to take a journey together over the course of this summer, as we often do, through a book. And this time of this year, we will be going through the gospel according to Matthew and if you will commit to joining us on this journey over the course of this summer, both here and outside of your times together in worship here, I absolutely believe that you will grow in the knowledge and in the love and in the grace of Jesus. How can you not? When we dive into his words together, when we read through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll have more to say about how to specifically do that a little bit later on in the service. But I just want to encourage you, take that time here together in worship with us, but then outside of this time, as you are connecting with one another, connect with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. I believe as we then come out of this time of the summer and come into the fall, it'll be a fall like no other as well. We're not adding a bunch of programs this summer. We're not layering a bunch of other things to do this summer, and that's very intentional. We want you to be connecting with one another, with the people who are sitting next to you today, as well as with those neighbors and friends and family. Take that time and make those connections and let relationship with one another and relationship with Jesus be your top priority as we come into this summer. So we're going to get started together, and we're going to get started in the gospel according to Matthew. And for those of you who might be new to our church or to new to this experience and opening up the Bible for yourselves, I want to be sure that you feel fully included and don't feel the least bit embarrassed about maybe not knowing where Matthew is. 
Matthew is at the beginning of what we call the New Testament. It's about the last third of the Bible, if you were to take a Bible up and hold it in your hands. And there are four gospel accounts from four different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those authors writing about the one gospel, gospel which means good news, the good news about Jesus Christ. And each one of them has a little different take on this gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each a different author, because they had a different audience. See, these weren't written just as biographies. This wasn't like going to the History Channel and reading a biography of the life of Jesus. There are many things within the Gospels that are biographical, but the purpose of each of these Gospels is to deliver crystal clear to a particular audience this good news about Jesus, what Jesus has come to do for us. So each author has a little different take on that. And when people read through the Gospels and go, well, gee, Pastor, how come this story is included in this Gospel and not in this one? Or maybe it's in both of them, or, but it's shared just in a slightly different way or even in a different time as a part of the timeline, I encourage them this way to go, listen, this isn't about a discrepancy between the, the authors. This is about the intent of the author to make sure that the message is delivered specifically to their audience. In the same way that things that I would share with you might be a little bit different than I would share with a neighbor or might be, as you listen to this message, might even sound a little bit different from from sermon to sermon. It's because the audience is different. Those who are listening are different and there might be a different thing that the Holy Spirit has inspired these authors to write to those particular people. So we start off with Matthew and Matthew is the first one in the Bible. It's not necessarily the first one that was written. It is attributed historically to the Apostle Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. And the account of Matthew coming to know Jesus is within this gospel, according to Matthew. But there's a reason why Matthew is the first of the gospels to be shared. And you're going to see that as we begin exploring this gospel together. So be prepared. We're going to take time to do a little Bible study as we work our way through the gospel. I want to be sure that you know a little bit of the history and what's happening as we read together. And then also hear Jesus as we meet and encounter him in his word. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, please open up to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look right at verse 1 and 2, right there at the very beginning of the gospel. If you have it on your phone or in another way, that's perfectly all right. Pull that out. Be able to uh, pull up your particular Bible app and open up to the gospel of Matthew. If you're watching at home, you may have a Bible that you've got at home as well. Please pull that out and uh, let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. We're going to pause right there. Listed after this portion that I've just read is a long list of genealogy. Genealogy carrying all the way from Abraham through to David through to Jesus the Messiah himself. And it's important that this is included here because it gives us a clue as to why Matthew is writing this message and what it is that he intends to share with his audience. Genealogy, where you come from, where your parents have come from. It matters, and it matters specifically to his audience because Matthew is writing this message about the Messiah. 
The Messiah, the Messiah, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word, Mashiach, which means anointed one. And anointing was something that was set aside for very special and particular people, most particularly the king. The Messiah, as seen in the light of Judaism, is an incredibly important figure. This is the person who would come to bring about God's ultimate design and purposes in the world, the long-awaited anointed one. And he doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. He has a lineage. And this lineage matters. This Messiah, Mashiach, by the way, that word anointed one is translated in Greek to the word Christos, which is where we get Christ. So when you see Jesus Christ, that means Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, okay? So it's a title. It's not his last name. So this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, there are two key figures in the history of Judaism that are so essential to understanding who Jesus is. And the author, Matthew, wants to make absolutely sure that those who are reading this, who have received this orally, and who will continue to receive this message about the good news about Jesus, understand these connections to these two critically important figures. First of all, Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You all know this song from Sunday school. If you don't, you missed out. It's a great song, but it's just a reminder. Abraham, that father of promise, the one who was promised by God that he would have many sons, that he would be the father of a great nation, a great people, God's people, God's called People. These are the people of Abraham. Now you might say, but aren't we talking about Jews here? Aren't we talking about Israel here? Yes, and that flows directly from Abraham, and that's why I shared with you verse 2. Abraham. Abraham, who was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and Jacob's name later was changed from Jacob to Israel. So that's where we get the name Israel from, Jacob Israel. And Jacob's sons, the 12 sons, were known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Each son had their own group of people, a family that connected. A tribe is just an extended family, and that extended family becomes the family of Isaac and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. So this becomes the nation of Israel, the people. That's all it means. It's not a political unit. It's a family unit. So we have Israel who gives birth to these 12 sons, and one of those sons is named Judah. Judah. If you listen to the name Judah, you get where we have the term Jew. It comes from that term. To be a follower of Judaism is to be a follower of the tribe of Judah, okay? Judah, the, the highest tribe, the tribe, I won't say the highest tribe, the tribe that is, becomes the most prominent tribe and ultimately becomes really the only surviving tribe of Israel. So Judah, so there's the lineage. 
The lineage of Jesus connects to Abraham, and Abraham is the father of the nation who becomes the father of Isaac and Jacob, Israel, and the 12 sons that become the 12 tribes. So there you go. Jesus is directly tied to Judah and to Israel and to Isaac and to Abraham. He is one of us. That's the message because the message of Matthew is to the Jewish people. This first gospel is placed in this position because it's a beautiful transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there is more prophecy in the book of Matthew, more references to prophets and Old Testament than any of the other gospels. Because Matthew has a point to make here. He's like, listen, this Jesus, he really is the Messiah. He's the one we've all been waiting for. This is where he comes from. He's part of the promise that was given to Abraham. God's chosen people, the promised people who came into the promised land. This is them. This is Jesus. But there's more to it. There's also a son of David. Now, who's David? David was the king. King David, the most important king in all of Israel. The one who was called and anointed by God, anointed by Samuel, by God through Samuel, okay, anointed to be king, David the anointed one. So to be a son of David is to also be a part of David's lineage. And as you read through this genealogy, you'll see that it directly references David. David, who was also part of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Israel, the tribe of then Isaac and Abraham, all the way through down the line. You see all the connections here that are being made. So we have King David, and King David is a central figure. King David is what united Israel into a, into a nation that was powerful, a nation that, that expanded and grew in its influence. David, who was, who was considered the one that God loved, and David was a completely flawed individual, and so was Abraham. You read through the Bible, and all you got to do is check out the stories a little bit, and you'll find out that the heroes that we select as heroes in the Bible mm, really aren't the people that you want to live up to following the most. There's only one real hero of the Bible, and his name is Jesus. But these two historic figures are really, really important. So we have Abraham, then we have David, and David was the one who would lead this promised kingdom, okay, the kingdom of Israel. And this kingdom was a promise that was given to David and to his heirs that there would be a king in David's lineage on the throne of Israel forever. Forever. This kingdom would never cease. The kingdom that God established through David. So we have a, a family that has been brought together, a people that has been brought together, now a nation and a kingdom and a king. Wow, what a story. And Matthew is being written to these people to get through an important message. And we see that message, and I've already read part of that message here, at the very end of this lineage at verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So you've got Abraham, father of the nations. Yay, awesome. You've got David, he comes along. King, kingdom, 
fantastic. 14 generations later, it all blows up and falls apart, and they're shipped off into Babylon, and the whole thing collapses. And everybody sits around and goes, what happened to the promise? Aren't we God's people? Isn't this supposed to be David's kingdom? What happened? And it's been 14 generations from that time to the time of the arrival of Jesus. 14, 14, and 14. Why are they set up that way? Why is this being put in place? Because it's about time and God has kept his promise. That's what Matthew wants to send forth to you. Listen, there were 14 generations here. There was another 14 generations from David until the exile. We have been waiting a long time. It's been 14 generations, and the time has arrived. The Messiah is here, and his name is Jesus. We want to tell you all about him and let you know about him. That's the emphasis. That's the message. So Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, is born in Bethlehem in Judea, as the story is told in the rest of chapter 1. But then we come to a part of the story that will set up a key element of Matthew's message. And we're going to read that together, starting in Matthew chapter 2. If you've still got your Bibles out, follow along with me as I read this passage, starting at chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Seeing all the connections here? All the language? Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Interesting story. You may have heard this story before. We talk about it a lot around Christmas time. The story of the Magi. We, we call them the three wise men, although there's nothing in here that says that there were three of them. <laughs> Just that there were three gifts that were given. And they're called the, the wise men, but really the magi is a better way to refer to them as to what they actually were. Who were these three magi? Well, one thing is for sure, they weren't Jews. They came from the east. They were from a different group of people. And magi, if you hear that word magi, you can kind of imagine that from magi we get words like magic and magician. But they were also in their culture they were people who looked to the stars. They were astrologers. 
they followed the movements of the stars and thought that the movements of the stars would predict particular things that would happen in history. Okay? This is not true, but this is what they actually did. So these were not followers of Yahweh. Okay? These were not wise in the way that we would call them wise men of, of, of God, wise followers, wise priests, or, or wise followers of Judaism. So why do we call them wise? Because they got one thing right. They came to look for the king of the Jews. Because this sign that they saw in the sky told them a king has been born. And this king is living in the land of the Jews, so we are going to go find him. And they go to look for him, and the person that they go to check in with is the king. King Herod. King Herod is really kind of a puppet king. He's a king in name. He's been given this title of, of king through basically cooperation with, with Augustus Caesar and with some of the other powers of the Ro, um, Roman Empire. And he's given this title to be kind of a, a jurisdictional leader to some extent, although he doesn't really have that much power. But he has some power, he has some influence, he has some armies, he has some money. So he's king, King Herod. And here come the Magi to visit King Herod and say, hey, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. Have you seen him? <laughs> Can you imagine King Herod like, huh? Who do you think you're standing here talking to? No, 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 not you, the real king of the Jews, the one who has been born. We want to go find him so we can worship him. Interestingly enough, <laughs> right after this encounter with King Herod is the last time you find in Matthew Herod being referred to in that term, King Herod. From that point on, it's just Herod. It's like the message came through. Yeah, hey, I'm the king, King Herod. Great, good to meet you, I'm King Herod. Yes, from that point on, it's just, well, now Herod. So Herod, don't go back and talk to Herod again because there is a king. The king has been born. This king of the Jews is Jesus. He has been born, yet isn't it crazy that those who are on the outside looking for a king by this sign, these astrologers, these magicians, these non-Jewish people, these non-followers of the true God, they're the ones who recognize that Jesus has been born. The outsiders are looking for a king to worship him. And the insiders are ready to hunt down a child to kill him. Because that's Herod's plan. Oh, sure, Herod says I want to find him and worship him, but of course that's not true. The rest of the story shares it with us. Herod wants to find this child and kill him because Herod already has a kingdom. It's his kingdom. And even though Herod was a Jew... And Herod, however, was not in the lineage of David. Herod is perfectly comfortable continuing to be king. And he consults with the other religious leaders to go, hey, um, this Messiah, where exactly is he supposed to be born? He finds out from them because everybody's waiting for a Messiah. Everybody's excited and looks forward to the day that the Messiah will come until he actually shows up. 
Because if the Messiah has actually shown up, now everything is different. Everything has changed. Everything is turned upside down. Herod wants to keep his kingdom. And isn't that interesting? Because I think a lot of us find ourselves in the same place. You see, some people want a kingdom, but they don't want the king. We want a kingdom. We want a place where we get to rule. We want a place where we get to have the power, call the shots, and make all the decisions. That's what we want so often in our own lives. And sometimes we'll, we'll even try to kind of make it look like it's God's kingdom. Well, I, I just want people to do the right things and say the right things and be in the right places and make the right choices because that's what God would want, and so that's what I want too. We like to associate this kingdom with these good things, God's kingdom, until the king shows up and says, hey, by the way, I'm your king too. And if I'm your king, your response to me in the voice of Jesus is worship. You see, we are called to worship the king and when we gather together in this time and in this place together, our first priority, our only priority, is to worship Jesus. To hear his voice speak to us, to hear his forgiveness offered to us, to receive these things and to come back with the only action that we can have, which is to fall on our knees before him and go, thank you, Jesus, it's all about you. Nothing else matters. My life is laid down before you. You are king. You are Lord. You are the anointed one. It's you, Jesus, and nobody else. Some want a kingdom, but not its king. And then there are those who want a king, but really not his kingdom. Those who would like to come to worship and worship Jesus, oh, it's great, once a week we get to come, we stand before Jesus, we go, oh, Jesus, I love you, you are awesome, you're amazing, thank you for saving me, thank you for everything that you have done in my life, this is wonderful, this is great, Whew. all right, we're out of here, great, now I can get back to doing what I do and being in charge because I can get back to my own kingdom. If we worship Jesus as king, then we need his kingdom too. To acknowledge him as king is to say, Jesus, not only do I worship you and acknowledge what it is that you have done for me and done in my life, but I acknowledge that you are the king and your king has a kingdom and that kingdom is over me. And I must live under your kingship. I am accountable to listen to you, to go where you call me to go, to do what you call me to do. If you worship the king, you must live under his kingdom. So Matthew was wanting to make this message clear from the very beginning. There is a king. He's the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one. And this king has a kingdom. And what you think you may know about this kingdom could be right, could be wrong, but I guarantee you, you will come and worship this king. And if you worship this king and love him and acknowledge who he is, he will reveal to you his kingdom. 
He will show you the areas of your life that he desires to bring under his kingship. And he will do it in love and in mercy and with abounding and abundant grace. Not because you've earned it, but because he loves you and desires to forgive you. He paid the ultimate price so that you could come into his presence, live under his kingdom, an eternal kingdom with an eternal king. So over the course of this summer, as we continue this journey together, be with us to worship Jesus, the king, right here. Join us in times together with one another to lift our voices together, receive from him and pour out in response to him our praise and our worship. Be here. And then go out of this place to follow Jesus in his kingdom everywhere. And here's some simple ways to do that. You're going to pick up a packet on your way out, a reading guide. And it's called the ABCs of Matthew. And it's a way to be able to read through the Gospel of Matthew over the course of this entire summer, a chunk at a time. It won't necessarily follow what we're doing in our preaching series because, honestly, we know that people are going to be coming and going. And so we'd like each of our, of our sermons to be something that you can come and engage in, whether you are able to make it every week or not. But by taking this little guide of the ABCs of Matthew, you'll be able to read through the Gospel of Matthew and ask three important questions, the ABCs. First of all, what is this passage about? Second, what is this passage calling me to believe? And third, C, where is the challenge that is presented in this passage? A challenge for me to understand, a challenge for me to change, a, a challenge for me to repent and rethink of the way that I have encountered Jesus before. It's a really simple pattern, the ABCs, to be able to engage in the Scripture. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with your family. You can do it with one another. You can do it with your small group. You can form a new small group. Whatever it is that you'd like to do, find a way to engage in the Scriptures this way. So this is something I'm asking every single member of our congregation to do. Pick up one of those packets and read through the Gospel of Matthew over the course of this summer and let it transform you. And then I got one more challenge. And this is the challenge for those who, who go, you know what, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. I've, read, I've read through this before, but I'd like to dig in and, and spend even a little bit more time in God's word, okay? This, is, this isn't like you have to do this to be a good Christian. It just means you might be like, hey, can you give me something a little bit more, Pastor? And that, here it is, okay? If you read four chapters a day, the Gospel of Matthew is 28 chapters long. If you read four chapters a day, you can read through the Gospel in a week. So for some of you, I would issue you this challenge. How many times can you read through the entire gospel over the course of this summertime? Now, you might not get all the way through it every week. That's fine. It's okay. But if you're looking for something to step up and go, hey, I just want to be able to just pour in and read. And I'm not talking about doing a, a, an individual Bible study on every verse, okay? Let the ABCs of Matthew guide you into little smaller chunks. But sometimes there's something that's just rich about reading through the whole gospel of Matthew. I did that just this past week. Read through it in two sittings. Did it on one day and then sat down and, and finished it off the next day. And it was just rich and, and rewarding to be able to just read through and encounter Jesus this way. So encounter Jesus with us this way over the course of this summer, okay? Pick up that guide. And maybe if you, if you desire, challenge yourself to not just read once through the entire gospel over the course of the summer, but to read through it multiple times. See where God leads you in that. I know he will lead you on a journey that will be transformative and powerful.
because it'll be a place where you will see and encounter Jesus himself, the risen one, the Savior, the Messiah, the King, the Son of Abraham, the one whom we worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be able to come and worship you. Thank you for calling us together as your people. And Lord, we know that that we are flawed. <laughs> we know that we come up short in so many ways. I know I certainly do. Lord, thank you that we can meet you here with one another and in the presence of your Holy Spirit to transform us, to forgive us, to renew us, and to lead us, just as we say when we confess our sins before you, Lord. So lead us, lead us this summer, Lord. Help us to worship you as king and to follow you as Lord and master. Go where you will go. Teach us to follow. We love you and we praise these things. We pray these things together, Jesus, in your name. Amen.